Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara Papinski, and today I'm honored to have Julia Glass on the podcast to discuss her new novel, Vigil Harbor. Julia Glass is the author of six previous books of fiction, including the best-selling Three Junes, winner of the National Book Award, and I See You Everywhere, winner of the Binghamton University John Gardner Fiction Book Award. Other published works include the Kindle single Chairs in the Rafters and Essays in Several Anthologies, a recipient of fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts, the New York Foundation for the Arts, and the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study. Glass is a distinguished writer in residence at Emerson College. She lives with her family in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Julia Glass, thank you so much for coming on A Bookish Home, and congratulations on the new book. Well, thank you, Laura. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Oh, wonderful. Um, I um, I just loved this book so much. It, uh, you know, has been um, constantly on my mind since reading it. Um, I had mentioned to you that I also live on the North Shore, um, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. So I'm kind of envisioning this world you've created, um, this sort of version of the future 10 years from now on in sort of coastal Massachusetts was just fascinating to read about. And characters are just um, such interesting people and it really becomes such a page turner as we go on. So I'm excited to, to dive into it. So for listeners that haven't gotten to take a look at the book yet, could you just tell us a little bit about um, Vigil Harbor and sort of what characters are facing in this future? Okay. So um, Vigil Harbor is the name of a fictional town that's based very much on the t- yeah, on the town that I live in north of Boston, which is called Marblehead. It has a long history that goes back to its origins as a cod fishing village in the 17th century, up through uh, its historic importance as a real hotbed of insurgency leading up to the American Revolution. And in fact, uh, Marblehead is the uh, the place where the United States Navy began under George Washington because it was all of these cod fishermen who joined up and became the Marblehead Mariners who rode Washington across the Delaware and so forth. So, and then the town went into a century or so of obscurity, but by the end of the 20th century, early 21st century is mostly a scenic affluent, very white, privileged town, very liberal-minded, but a town that feels fairly insulated from a lot of the perils and anxieties of you know, forces from the outer world, be they you know, polarized politics, climate change, immigration policies. But of course, that's an illusion. And that's really what I set out to write about here is, is in a way... Um, the illusion of that kind of privilege. Now, for readers of my previous books, I I want to assure you this is not dystopia. I had a friend of mine (laughs) who was writing this. She said, tell me something about your book because I'm very close to the best about when I'm working on a book. And I said, well, it's set like 10 or 12 years in the future. And she got the most horrific look on her face. And she said, oh, please, not dystopia. And I said, no, no. I said, dystopia is above my pay grade. So, so Vigil Harbor is, is very much a community where, as always, I'm writing about family bonds, 
about love, about siblings, about spouses. And, and there's a very scandalous divorce, of course, as you know, that, that sort of sets off some of what happens in this novel. And there are family secrets. Uh, and, and it's so it's very much about the relationships. But the reason that I chose to, to venture a bit into the future is that I had, I had started work on this book back in around, um, I think, you know, 2012, 13. And for various reasons, I got hung up and I abandoned it for a few years. And during those few years, there were a lot of changes. We had a new president, for instance. So here I was in 2017, after my last novel, A House Among the Trees, came out, re-examining this story I'd wanted to write about this coastal town. And 2017 was the year in which our president withdrew us from the Paris Climate Accord. It was also a year of many extreme storms, including hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria, which devastated the, the Gulf Coast and Puerto Rico. And I thought to myself, what is it like to be an environmental activist or scientist and to have nobody paying any attention to the concerns that you are justifiably voicing. What if in the near future, climate activists resorted to violence, to a form of, let's call it eco-terrorism, to try to affect any sort of change? So that's kind of the world that I'm imagining here. Well, it is the world I'm, I'm imagining a dozen years in the future. Um, yet, and people are also living in the aftermath or the quasi aftermath of COVID, which is something, by the way, that I had to fit into my novel after I'd already finished a full book. But um, so there are eight characters who are narrating this book. And Laura, I hope you'll attest to, to the fact that I, I do keep it all pretty straight so the reader does not get confused. Oh, completely. <laughs> so, um, there it begins, the first voice you hear is that of a 21-year-old young man who went to college in New York and, and left college early and came home to Vigil Harbor because he survived a violent act. That's all I'll say. And he's kind of in recovery. And the other characters are his father, a successful architect with a secret in his past, his mother, um, these two middle-aged empty nesters named Margot and Mike, whose spouses leave them for one another and run away to a survivalist community in Wisconsin. Um, and then there are two strangers who come to town. And one of them exposes a secret in, in the architect's past. And the other one comes with a political agenda that's not, that's kind of hidden. And so it's that classic plot where you have, you know, a, a fairly secure connected community that goes into upheaval because of these two strangers who come to town at the same time. And the events of the novel take place over only a few days, but these eight characters, and this is very typical for me, are fully portrayed. You see their, their histories. Um, you see what they, what they do for a living. Um, so it's, it's very character based, but I'm glad to hear you say that you found it to be a page turner because I think it's also the most plot driven book that that I have ever written. 
in that oh, sense. Yeah. I, and I, I love that combination of, we feel we know the characters so well and we're so invested in them, but at the same time, um, yeah, I'm staying up way too late because I'm flipping pages and can't, can't stop reading and have to know what happens. Um, and you know, it's such a, a big undertaking to have all those perspectives and that kind of cast of characters and, and to be imagining this world that is very, you know, close to what we know, but also, you know, has spun off in these different directions. So I kind of am curious once you had the idea and I know it had been in the drawer for a little while, but maybe when you pulled it back out, kind of how did you go about bringing this to life? Are you kind of, um, you know, plotting everything and making outlines and um, character sketches? Are you figuring out kind of one perspective at a time? What's your writing process like? So I am not a plotter. I've learned that I'm what's called a pantser. In other (laughs) words, I operate by the seat of my pants. You know, when I'm writing a book, it's all about the characters and the choices they make. Now, obviously, I'm controlling them, you know, I'm the puppeteer, as it were. But, um, but I often surprise myself as I'm writing along when I thought that I was going to have a character do something and suddenly I get to that point and I change my mind. So because I'm not, because the characters are not following a pre-established plot, it's much easier for me to, it's also, it, it's also easier for me to head down some cul-de-sac and then have to, you know, <laughs> back up. I, as I joke, I'm often hearing that sound beep, 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 as I back up and go there. But but I will tell you that like all my books, Vigil Harbor began, again, almost a decade ago with a single character in a single situation. That's always how my books begin. And that situation might be a crisis. It might be a choice, an opportunity, you know, a change in relationships. Uh, So I had this notion that I really wanted to write about an architect and I wanted to write about um, something related to, to, to weather and to climate change. And I conceived of an architect who builds houses by the coast that are designed to withstand extreme weather. And, and back then I even rode around town with an architect I know who showed me houses and talked about them and so forth. Um, And The situation that he's in, as I conceived of it, is that although he's happily married and he has a wife and a stepson, his stepson is that young man, college-age young man that I mentioned, whose name is Brecht, um, he has in his past a relationship of which he feels very guilty and ashamed. When he was a young architect in New York, he had an intense, passionate relationship with a seductive young woman named Issa who believed or presented herself as coming from another world, from under the sea. And, and when I conceived of this, and by the way, I, you know, at times I wondered if I'd been struck on the head by a heavy object. <laughs> it's not my nature as a writer to, to delve into anything supernatural. But, but I guess I was sort of obsessed with my coastal, new coastal setting, having relocated from New York and, um, and I thought a lot about the lore of the sea. So I thought, can I, what if, you know, was she really a mermaid or not? We you know, was she someone who was just 
you know, had mental health issues. I mean, but the point is the, the relationship ended quite tragically. He went forward with his life, moved to this Massachusetts town, and no one really knows about that part of his past until this woman comes from New York searching him out who was also in love with Issa, the seductive, otherworldly young woman. And that was the concept, the first concept I had for this book. So then I was thinking, I knew that Austin, the architect, would have this wife, Miriam, stepson, Brecht. And then I also brought back a character from a previous book, as I sometimes do. And that character was from my novel, The Widower's Tale. And his name is Celestino. And he's, uh, in, in The Widower's Tale, he's a Guatemalan immigrant who is striving to start a landscaping company. And in fact, that book ends in the town of Vigil Harbor. So here I was returning to that town with this new set of characters. And then I wanted Celestino to be in this book as someone who's now established his business. And he works with the architect. And Brecht works for him, the, the stepson. Um, but he himself has great anxieties about his stature as, as, as an immigrant, even though he's now legal, he's married to a, to a woman who grew up in Vigil Harbor, who's another important character. Uh, and then I, I kind of thought about the society of the town. I thought, this is a town that's where the yacht club, you know, reigns supreme. And so I wanted to have some fun writing about even slightly satirizing that kind of society. And, uh, and that's how I conceived of the scandal at the Yacht Club where these, these two couples split apart dramatically, two of them running off together, two of them sort of thrown together in their mutual humiliation. And that is Margot and Mike. And Mike is a marine biologist who's trying to save and restore the, the salt marshes of the North Shore, with which you're probably familiar, Laura, the beautiful, you know, the beautiful salt marshes around Cranes Beach. Yes, yes. Switch in Essex. Uh, so, you know, one thing that I always love um, in creating characters is creating their professions too, or researching their professions. I'm fascinated by how what people do for a living, whether they fell into it or they it was their ambition or passion, how it shapes them, what their relationship with their work is like. So both the architect and the marine biologist and Margot, who's a, who's a retired English teacher, each of those characters, part of the, the full dimensionality of them is, is, you know, what they've spent most of their adult lives doing uh, and, and how that makes them who they are. But it's it's really in the end this what I call a kind of cat's cradle of re, of relationships that become closer and closer as the book reaches what you know what what is a pretty dramatic climax in which several of these characters are endangered. Um, it, it's there that I bring all these characters together and and secrets come out and loyalties shift, um, and it's it's. Also, the, the place itself, Vigil Harbor, is in a way a character. How, how Vigil Harbor itself has, has shaped these people's values and their sense of comfort and their sense of connection to the sea. 
I wanted to ask you about that kind of Vigil Harbor as a character. Um, did you think about sort of, um, you know, when you were deciding about the setting, did you think about sort of making it, um, making it really Marblehead? Did you think about um, really wanting it to be a fictional version and, um, or even setting it in another coastal town and kind of along with that, you know, where did you, uh, what kinds of decisions were you making about, you know, I want this to sort of be a nod to the truth of the town. I want this to be more fiction. I was just kind of curious about, about developing the setting. Well, you know, as people in Marblehead begin to read my book, there are a lot of jokes about who the characters are. And in fact, the characters are based on no one, but apparently this scandalous divorce that I've created is exactly a situation that was was quite the the source of of scandal and rumor in the town in the 1970s when I did not live here. And so I won't say the names of the people, but several people come up to say, oh, you were writing about the, you know, the Smiths, let's just call them. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Who are they? I don't even know them. (laughs) I say to my friends here who are reading the book, I say, you know, if you find yourself in the novel, then you have a bigger imagination than I do. Um, but, you know, I did something similar in The Widower's Tale when I wanted to write about the town west of Boston that I grew up in, which is Lincoln. But I, I recreated it as a town called Matlock. So it's not, I, I want the town to be recognizable, but I want the freedom to make changes in in thing, you know things about the town. For instance, Marblehead actually has five yacht clubs. Now, who would believe that a town would have five yacht clubs? So Marblehead <laughs> has just one. Um, and, and Marblehead does not have a bowling alley. There's a bowling alley that's that's of some importance toward the end of the book. Um, you know, I like to have that free reign, but I certainly won't object if people recognize the town. And, uh, and I even thought of giving real names to surrounding towns, for instance, Salem, but I kind of renamed Salem is not important in the book, but I renamed it Knowles. So um, it just, it means that I can manipulate the landscape however I want to. Uh, And I don't have to be beholden to, to the sort of meticulous details of, of street maps or topography. Um, So it's, it's like a meta version of that town. On the other hand, though, you know, a, a city where I spent 24 years of my life and that I still write about and that does come back in Vigil Harbor is New York City. And there you can't create a meta New York City. You know, New York City is New York City. That's it. And you have to be accurate about your details. So or if I were to write about Boston, which which doesn't really figure in this novel, but may well figure in the next novel I'm going to write. Um it's not that I want to shirk all reality. Um, I, but, but, it, but when it comes to creating small towns, you know, I'd rather have that leeway. So nobody can tell me it isn't like that. I had read in an interview that you um, do a lot of research for your fiction. And I was curious if there's any um, research you did that you know, particularly fascinated you or was interesting kind of during your writing process for this book? 
that's a good question. There's always something that I that I have to research for my books. And um, and by the way, I'm so lazy that I try to do the research as late as I possibly can. So what I do is while I'm writing the book, I just make up stuff that I think is true. And I have to go and do the research and correct myself. So in this case, almost all the research I did had to do uh, with 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 the marine biologist Mike, who's a very important character, and his work with the salt marshes. I actually went to a really fascinating a couple. I went to a few lectures. On one was on you know the the fishing industry and its current state in in New England, off the coast of New England, um, which is not a terribly happy topic. There's a lot of contention between fishermen and the regulating agencies. So I did some research on that, but I went to some, some very inspiring lectures on efforts to, um, to maintain our very developed coast, you know, to whether it's seawalls or it's, it's, um, I think what's called remediation. I hope I got that word right of the, of the salt marshes. And there's a lot of really interesting work going on there. You know, in the end, I probably didn't include as many nerdy details as I might've liked. And in fact, that's an advantage of doing the research late because you can't shoehorn a bunch of (laughs) details in that the reader doesn't really need to know. I also read a really uh, beautiful book uh, by, um, a North Shore author who, whom I know called Swimming to the Top of the Tide, which I recommend highly. And it's a, it's a kind of memoir about, well, maybe memoir is the wrong word, but um, uh, Patricia Hanlon, the author of the book, she and her husband spent a year swimming through the creeks in the salt marshes of the North Shore and writing. So it's a combination writing about her marriage and writing about, about the, the natural landscape. And that book also helped me add some, some details that, that I needed. Oh, um, I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to, I'll have oh, to it's check that wonderful. out. It, it came out, it came out about a year ago and I blurbed it. It's, it's actually pu- published by Algonquin. Oh. To the top of the tide. Oh. I recommend it, especially for people who really love reading yeah. about our landscape and how it's changing too. Uh, but it's not a dire book. It's not, I mean, she talks about climate change and how it's affecting the marshes, but it's really a delightful book. And there's some very comic scenes uh, in it too. So, um, so I think if I think about it, that was really the only true research I did for this book. Uh, you know, writing about an English teacher was great fun for me because of course, well, I am a teacher. I'm a teacher of creative writing, but um, but writing about Margot's relationship to literature, and she's quite a an outspoken sort of spitfire of a character. So you you know her opinions are are not muted on on literature and other and relationships and everything. So, I really liked her character. I liked reading about her. She um it was fun to write. She was fun to read. Well, you know, I was going to ask a little bit about your teaching. I'm curious how it affects your writing or if it does, um, working with your students. And if there's any particular advice that you give your writing students, I'm sure you give a lot, but if there's anything in particular um, you would want to share. Well, so I am in my sixth year of teaching in the MFA program at Emerson College in Boston. 
And before that, I had taught week-long intensive fiction workshops at various places. Um, but this is the first place that I have had sustained relationships with students. Our program is three years long. Um, and I, well, first of all, I, I didn't get an MFA myself. I actually came back into fiction writing in my 30s. I was a painter, you know, through my 20s. And then I was, it's a long story, but I started writing fiction. And uh, so one thing that I've really seen is what it means to have a community as, as, a, as a fiction writer or as any kind of writer. It's, you know, the work is so solitary and it's so important to, to have people to keep your spirits up when you're suffering rejections and so forth. And, you know, when it comes to advice, just broad advice, I mean, I certainly tell all fiction writers to that, that succeeding takes what I call a, a mixture of, of, of uh, determination and denial. Because <laughs> to, to aspire to be a successful fiction writer is kind of crazy. And, and that's the denial of it. Like, you know, the denial that maybe you should grow up and get a real job. <laughs> so, it took me seven years to get my first short story published. And then another half a dozen years to get my first novel published. And Three Junes was published when I was 46. So I was kind of out of my mind that I didn't quit before. So I, I like to be inspiring to my students in that way. But, I, but I'll tell you something that surprised me. My students have had an influence on my writing in that they... I mean, I bring to the classroom short stories for them to read. And, but in turn, they recommend things to me. And I have, I like to think that I broaden their reading horizons, but to my surprise, they've really broadened mine. And I think that I would not have been brave enough to delve into writing in the future, even if it's sort of baby steps futuristic, um, nor to have put a toe in the water of, of magical realism without the influence of those students. They, because they've introduced me to writers that I, that are a little outside my comfort zone. And that's been, that's been a real revelation. And, uh, you know, I'm doing a reading tomorrow night at Porter square books in Cambridge. And I'm so excited that several of my graduate students will be there, you know, because those relationships are are very important in in my life as a writer, and and I hope in their life lives as writers. That's so lovely. I, yeah, I just think it's so interesting that them influencing your reading life then influences your writing life. Um, that's mm-hmm. an interesting kind of relationship and connection to have. Well, you know, just lastly, I would love to hear a little bit um, more about what you've been reading lately. Are there any books you'd want to recommend to listeners? Absolutely. So uh, one of, one of the fun things I'm doing on this so-called tour, which is half remote, half in person, um, uh, is I'm doing events with other writers who have books. And so two books by writers that I'm, I'm sharing the stage with that I really loved are Ben Shattuck's book, Six Walks, Following in the Footsteps of Henry David Thoreau, uh, it's it's a com- you know interesting. It's like swimming to the top of the tide. It's a it's a it's a memoir slash nature writing book. It's phenomenal, phenomenal. He's from Southern Massachusetts, so it's a very local New England book. And he's also an artist, so it's illustrated. Terrific, oh, lovely. Got great coverage in the Boston Globe. It's it's really wonderful. I'm also I've also just read and I loved new collection of short stories by Jessica Treadway called Infinite dimensions. Um, and I'd also love to recommend a, a new novel just out from 
a, a recent graduate from my program. Oh, so, uh, it's a first novel called The Golden Season by Madeline K. Sneed. Uh, in, terrific novel. It's it's set in Texas, um, but it's still good. <laughs> and, um, and two other books that I have really loved that that came out in recent years are Lily King's collection of short stories, which is called Five Tuesdays in Winter, and also the novel Homeland Elegies by Ayad Akhtar, which was a tremendously eye-opening book about what it's like to be. It's a novel, but it, it's kind of a quasi-memoir novel, or it reads like a memoir, but it's it, it really gave me a picture of what it's like to be a Muslim American, um, or just to be any kind of American citizen who has that experience of being marginalized and, as they say, othered by people in our society. It's very funny at times. It's very sobering at times. But, um, you know, I won't go so far as to call it the great American novel, but it is very much a novel about America today. And and, and that was was one of my favorite books of recent months as well. Oh, that sounds great. I'll have to definitely link to all those. And it's so funny you say... Five Tuesdays in Winter. I see that on my nightstand right now. I have only read the first story so far. So but, uh, I know, you know, I know some people shy away from short stories, but each of the stories, you know, it's like one of those wonderful boxes of chocolates that has everyone is different. And uh, I think there are stories that she wrote over, you know, more than 10 years. So there's quite a variety in there. And I, I, I read it because I had the privilege of interviewing her for a zoom book event back in December. And oh. so, so glad I said yes to that. Cause um, you know, I've also incorporated some of the stories in my classroom. Um, so yeah, she, she, and you know, her novels are wonderful too, but that's her first collection of short stories, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I loved writers and lovers. So yeah, much. That so nice. that's I think that was the first too. book I was kind of able to read in COVID, you know, in the 2020, I remember sitting on my back porch thinking, well, okay, I can't go anywhere so I can sit on my porch and read this we can do. <laughs> It'd be a good one for that. Well, I, um, I have so enjoyed speaking with you and um, I really hope that listeners um, go pick up a copy of Vigil Harbor from their local bookstore um, or go borrow it at their um, library. And I am just really thankful to have gotten to hear more about your writing life. And, oh, I did just mean to ask, um, I know this um, only just came out, but um, do you have, are you able to share anything about what you're working on next? So um, I have literally just started uh, a new book and I, it, it's, it's such an infant book that I, I can't say much about it, but I'm hoping it only has two points of view. Two <laughs> <laughs> people brought together by a fateful event and, and what happens over their lives for the next couple of decades through this oh. connection that they have. So um, that, that's really all I can say. I don't mean to be coy, but it's, it's, it's just a tender shoot at the moment. Yeah. Oh, well, it's exciting even just to kind of hear what, you know, a little bit about it. Um, well, Julia Glass, thank you again so much for taking the time to come on and, and best of luck um, bringing the book out into the world. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to talk to you. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop, Um, A Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization Bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books 
by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports A Bookish Home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash a bookish home and you'll also find that at abookishhome.com if you are enjoying the show i hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and if you enjoyed this episode i would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode thanks for listening everyone and happy reading